that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Welcome to the Miserable Offenders podcast. Uh, this is Archdeacon Andrew Brazier, and I'm joined by my co-host, Archdeacon Isaac Rayberg. And today we also have a guest. We're excited to uh, say hello and introduce Father Mark Perkins of the St. Dustin's Academy. So, Father Mark, uh, would you like to introduce yourselves and just kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're at and uh, where is St. Dustin's Academy located at? Sure. Um, I am uh, the newly appointed chaplain and assistant headmaster at St. Dunstan's. I spent the previous a little over three years as curate at St. Albans Anglican Cathedral in the Orlando, Florida area. Before that, I was a full-time teacher for nine years in the Charlottesville, Virginia area, attending All St. Charlottesville, where I went to seminary um, while I was there and was ordained um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm back. I'm currently in the undercroft at all saints back in central Virginia, helping to launch St. Dunstan's, which is located in, uh, a little town or rather a census designated area, I guess, called Roseland. <laughs> uh, there's a, uh, EMT station and a post office. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much uh, about it in Roseland. It's in uh, Nelson County, Virginia. It's about halfway between Charlottesville and Lynchburg, about an hour straight west from Richmond, right in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Oh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. That's beautiful. Yeah. So y- y'all pretty much are the village out there. St. Dunstan's is the is the village for, for your census designated area. Yeah, there, there are there are definitely some folks around there. Um, it's been fun to get to know the local community a little bit. Um, Roseland is actually named for a... 17th century, actually no, or 18th century, excuse me, uh, mid 18th century pre-revolutionary Church of England priest slash farmer. Um, Hmm. So I got to go to a, the the sort of Nelson County Historical Society, there was a local guy putting on a story about um, Parson Rose, uh, who, who had a giant farm operation in the area and was also responsible for the, uh, the ministry in the area it was kind of it was a really interesting conversation, but he didn't know enough about Anglican polity or the relation between uh, between the, uh, the 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 pre-revolutionary Anglicans, I guess we would call them somewhat anachron- anachronistically, and the uh, the Baptists and others in the area to tell me too much about how that worked. But it was a fascinating fascinating story. So yeah, we have 176 acres. We have a uh, farmhouse where. Um, finishing up our first building and we are within uh eyesight basically of the appalachian trail and the the um skyline drive blue or the the, rather the blue ridge parkway that's awesome that's absolutely fantastic and what a beautiful area to uh to plant uh an academy there Uh, that's really exciting and we'd love to learn a little bit more father mark about you know is this uh, academy something that was 
spearheaded by, um, you know, your diocese, by the local parish, you know, what kind of helped bring together and make St. Dunstan's Academy a reality? Yeah, and maybe tell us a bit about St. Dunstan's, because I bet you a bunch of our listeners have heard of y'all, but don't really know what that, what it means. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, I'll give the, the like two minute rundown of what St. Dunstan's is, and then I'll answer the kind of origin story. So St. Dunstan's is or will be a boys boarding school for Anglicans dedicated to Christian formation. Uh, our goal is to, is to form boys who are uh, praying and worshiping Christians. We have three pillars to our program uh, that uh, education in the classics, the great and good books of the Western tradition, education in sustainable farming and agriculture. So the boys will raise and grow, uh, butcher, slaughter and cook their own food and an education in the skilled trades, particularly timber framing. So under the mentorship of the faculty, they will help to build their own buildings so those three things uh, work together for us, uh, great books, farming, and skilled trades. And the goal, well, there's two goals that are basically the same. One is to help boys become men. And the other related goal is to deepen the boys' encounter with reality. Uh, so, so I could talk for a long time about that, but essentially each part of our program is designed to help the boys attend more closely to reality. So for instance, that's why we've chosen timber framing rather than others and any other sort of set of skilled trades, because uh, as far as as far as we found, timber framing is the the skilled trade that that brings the boys closest to encountering uh, things as they were created, uh, wood as God created it, rather than wood as a kind of commodity mass manufactured for Home Depot, uh, which is fine and, and and good and helpful, but it doesn't serve our purposes as much. All of that, though, is pointing towards Christian formation in the Anglican tradition. And so uh, as the chaplain, I'll have the, the primary uh, responsibility for the pastoral care, the theological education and spiritual formation of the boys, as well as the faculty families. Uh, eventually, we, we hope uh, to have 10 to 12 faculty families living on campus. And so it will be a kind of church plan, a kind of parish um, as well. And that uh, our, our, our life together will be framed around the the traditional threefold Anglican rule of life or pattern for living together, the Holy Communion, the daily office of morning and evening prayer and personal devotion. And our formal theological education will be primarily devoted to biblical literacy. So uh, in the in the in the framework of the Collect for Advent to the Bible Collect. So the boys will first hear the scriptures proclaimed in the liturgy and in the assembled body of Christ. And then they will read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures. So they'll read, study, memorize, and inwardly digest the scriptures together. I that, imagine with your great books focus, some of that's going to be in Greek and Latin, I, I'd imagine. Yeah, so so they will, that's right, yeah. So they will take four years of classical Latin, and we're thinking they'll do two years of a modern language and two years of biblical Greek is what we're thinking right now. Um, so that'll be kind of uh, part of our program as well, for sure. Any questions about that, or should I give the origin story, I guess? No, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to learn more of the, the origin story of, of how this uh, effort got initiated. And, uh, you know, probably I bet you a lot of listeners are tuned into this and are kind of like, I, I would love the idea of this. This sounds challenging. It's probably too much for me. So I'd love to kind of hear how this got started, uh, the formation, and really just, you know, a little bit of, hey, you can do it too. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, so it's been it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun watching it unfold. Uh, the, the the it is both extremely challenging and also definitely doable. Um, and one of our one of the things we'd like to see happen long term is that is that we are uh, the first of 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 the first school, but not the only school in this model. And really, we're we're the third school in this model because there are two Roman Catholic schools that we take to a significant degree as as models, but we're the first outside of the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, so so I'm hoping that others that that, that will that, that our success will lead others to imitate imitate what we're doing in some sense. Um, so the origin story: Thomas Fickley is our headmaster and founder. Thomas, um, when he he Thomas was a is a longtime teacher as well, and when his twin boys were born, which were boys four and five in his family. He's now got six boys and a girl, but he started with five boys. So when he had his, his fourth and his fifth boy, he sort of took, he started to consider that God was was calling him to take seriously the formation of boys in particular. And um, anecdotally, both anecdotally and statistically, uh, anecdotally, as a as a teacher myself, and a t and, a, and Thomas in his teaching career, and statistically, when you when you look at that um, education on the whole, boys don't do particularly well in our education system anymore. Right, uh, right. Boys in in high school, college, and postgraduate um, programs are not thriving uh, relative to girls. Girls tend to uh, do a little better in the in the, the educational system that we've set up. And so Thomas started started thinking and studying and thinking uh, and 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 uh, reading more about that. He has a he had finished by then he'd finished a, a master's in American history with a thesis on uh, American educational philosophy, the history of American educational philosophy. So he had kind of a background in that. And so he started reading and thinking more about how how boys have been educated in America and how they ought to be educated in America. And through that came across John Senior, who was an educational reformer at the University of Kansas in the 1970s. He uh, spearheaded something called the Integrated Humanities Program at the University of Kansas. Too much to go into there, but in reading John Senior and uh, John Senior's educational ideas, he thought, "What? Where is this happening today?" Uh, and John Senior's uh, program has was only around for about a decade, probably less than that, but it's had an incredible impact. And two of the institutions that are founded. Uh, one directly and one indirectly as a result of Senior's work. Uh, one is Gregory the Great Academy in Pennsylvania, and the other is St. Martin's Academy in uh, Fort Scott, Kansas. Gregory the Great's been around since 1993. Uh, St. Martin's is uh, maybe a decade old, less than that, I think. Yeah, I think I've heard of St. Martin's, at least kind of on the Internet and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. St. Martin's is the newer one, and maybe that's why they're they're sort of pushing to be more more visible. Uh, in some ways, but um, they have they have a, a good a good uh, presence, I think, on, on the Internet. They're in a really interesting place. Both of them are doing really well. Both of them, uh, from what I understand, both of them have full classes and they turn away as many students as they accept as well and for what they're doing. So Thomas uh, reached out to the folks associated with both of those schools, asking them how they started their schools. What did they do? Uh, and then started working, started thinking about how he would start one. He reached out to me. I had just moved to Florida. It was about three years ago to uh, to go for ministry. Here we were fellow parishioners for a long time, and, and said, "Hey, would you like to be the chaplain of this boys' boarding school?" 
And I told him I thought it was a crazy idea. Um, but then I didn't pray about it, talked to my wife about it. Uh, and the more my wife and I talked about it, and the more we thought prayed and studied, uh, the more we felt called in that particular ministry. It was about three years ago. It was, uh, it's been, a, there's, there, there is still a long way to go. We're planning to launch our first um, and it's been an incredible lift, but, but, but it's been, uh, God has, has brought everything we've needed when we've needed it. Yeah. I should say in, in one sense, so we are, we are an independent 501c3 affiliated with the APA, the Anglican province of America. That affiliation is in that as the, um, as the chaplain, I'm licensed by my bishop. I'm priest in good standing in the APA and our bishop, uh, Archbishop Chad Jones is on the board ex officio in his office, but we're an independent 501c3. And early on, one of the most uh, enthusiastic folks who is on our who's ne- who is now on our board and has been a been a great supporter of the project uh, is a parishioner at an ACNA parish in the area, um, not too far from All Saints. And so, on the ground. St. Dunstan's has, has been a partnership between folks at All Saints and folks at Holy Cross Crozet. One of the um, one of the lines that we talk about a lot is Peter Lightheart's phrase. I think it's I heard it from him. I don't know if he invented it. Uh, grassroots ecumenism. This um, yeah. we can do things together even if we're not in full communion, and, and we should do the kinds of things that we can. So that's that's been our model and. Um, Actually, Father Eric Parker of the REC was was very has been very supportive, uh, including some of his parishioners. And uh, he wrote about us uh, at the North American Anglican uh, back in I don't know when he wrote the piece, but he wrote it about our May 19th or May 20th uh, feast party to celebrate closing on our land. Um, so, uh, and that I think displays that vision for sort of ecumenical cooperation in a lot of ways. Yeah, Absolutely. Father Eric is definitely you know friend friend of the uh, friend of the show, friend of the uh, friend of the magazine, and so yeah, I think that's where I first heard about y'all was through him, even sure. though you know we all kind of travel in similar social media circles here. But mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to add that I think you might have gone out a little bit there, Father Mark. I want to make sure our listeners heard. When are you planning to go live with the academy uh, with the beginnings of your first class? And uh, and refresh my recollection on what will be the the grades uh, for the boys who are entering into the academy. Right. So we're going to start with our first cohort in the fall of 2024. We are going to open with actually what we're calling our our postgraduate program. Essentially, it is a gap or perhaps a bridge year for boys who graduated high school and are not quite ready for college and what the or 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 not sure they want to go to college. And so what we'll offer them is a rigorous education in skilled trades, a rigorous education in farming, uh, and, and a, a, a program of vocational discernment uh, that, that we'll sort of go through together. Um, and connected with both of those, we'll also be teaching them uh, small business development and entrepreneurship. So we're already um, making connections with local uh, business owners and, um, and folks in the community to sort of uh, help, help the boys envision what, what, is it, what it is that they want to do next, whether they want to go to college or uh, perhaps go into the skilled trades or start their own business, what that would look like. So we're starting with that in the fall of 2024. Uh, we need, a, in addition to, to finishing the, our first building, which will be a kind of all-purpose welcome and classroom building, um, which we've been building ourselves for a while, we need also uh, to um, – 
build a dormitory for the boys, which we should be able to do with funds from uh, the Bishop Jones of the APA has designated us as the Lenten appeal recipient for this next year. And those, the, the funds from that should, should fund our, our dormitory. So we'll launch that in the fall of 2024. There's a variety of reasons we're starting with that one. Um, and then in the fall of 2025, we'll, we'll launch the high school. So uh, the ninth and 10th grades um, is our plan right now in the fall of 2025. Eventually, it'll be a ninth through 12th grade school with that postgraduate year as well. Each cohort will be 12, uh, 12 boys in each grade and then 12, uh, 12 young men in the, in the postgraduate program for a total of 60 students. That's fantastic. And I'm really glad to hear that uh, Bishop Jones is making that a part of the Linton Fund uh, that's coming up uh, Lent for Lent 2024. And uh, what about those who are not part of uh, the APA, so they won't necessarily see that Linton appeal, that Linton Fund, we're getting to the end of 2023. And there may be someone who wants to donate to this effort, even if they aren't close enough to, to send someone, or they don't even have uh, a child, a boy who would be at this age, but they want to help this effort. How could they do that? Where should they go to? Yeah, what a great question. That's the exact, that's the right kind of question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you go to our, if you search St. Dunstan's Academy, our website should show up. It's stdunstansacademy.org. Uh, and um, you will find a, uh, a link to contribute. Uh, there's a, there's a um, tab you can click on to contribute. And you can either send us a, a check to our P.O. box or there's a, a little widget um, where you can sign up to give online, uh, either recurring sort of monthly thing or, or one time payments. Uh, we are we are we would love uh, prayers and, and support in any sort of way uh, telling folks about us. But we, we also do need a lot of money to to launch this. We've raised a little over a million dollars so far most of which went to uh, to buying our property. And we have, um, like I said, we, we, we have the funds to get our campus development um, or committed at least to, to get our campus development going towards 2024, but we need a lot uh, to, to launch. So any, um, any support? I'm certainly also, uh, my email is mperkins at stdunstansacademy.org, stdunstans again. And... Um, I'm happy to uh, to correspond with anyone who wants who would like to continue the conversation or, or hear more about our school or have me come and visit. I've been visiting a lot of churches and uh, we've been speaking at, at academic uh, conferences, Cersei Institute uh, conferences and other places like that as well. So uh, if you'd like to hear more from me or from Thomas Fickley, our headmaster, we're certainly happy to continue that conversation. So uh, tell us about why. Um, you went with a boarding school model. Um, I think for a lot of us in here in the States, uh, all boys school and boarding schools sounds a little weird, sounds a little old country, but um, I'm sure you all have a real good, real good uh, purpose behind all that. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's probably the most consistent question or objection that we run into. A lot of folks who are really excited about what we're doing, but aren't quite sure what to make of the boarding school thing. And that's, uh, that's, Totally understandable. That was my my initial hangup. I've taught in Virginia where boarding schools are fairly common, but I never went to one. I never taught at one. We play against them in sports, but I didn't really have a context for it either. So I had to do a lot of thinking and reading to talk about it. I think maybe that one of the one of the best ways, and I'll, I'll do this as quickly as I can. One of the best ways to to enter into the question of why boarding school 
is to look at uh, Luke chapter 2, the end of Luke chapter 2, which is the story of Jesus in the temple. It's the one story we get in scripture of Jesus's youth between his sort of infancy and uh, narratives and his adult ministry. And in Luke, uh, up until the point, up until the end of chapter two, Jesus is referred to as the baby or the child or the child Jesus consistently. The only time he's not referred to that way is when the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. Otherwise he is called the child Jesus or the boy Jesus. And then suddenly by the end of Luke chapter 2, Luke 2.52, we get, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now the story about the temple starts with the boy Jesus or the child Jesus and his family went down to Jerusalem. And then by the end of the story, somehow he's not the child Jesus anymore. He's just Jesus. And all that's pa- the only time this passes three days. So it's not as though five years has passed and suddenly he's now an adult. What's happened, and there's a lot that's going on in that story, but what's fundamentally happened to Jesus is that he's undergone a rite of initiation. Uh, Almost every culture in the history of the world, sometime between the ages of 12 and 15, boys were initiated into into manhood in some sense. Uh, We're sort of unique in that we don't really have rites of initiation in, in, in our culture anymore. The closest we have is sending boys off to college at age 18. Um, in the fall. And again, we're sort of the the only ones who do it that way. Um, We're probably the first culture in the history of the world where a 17-year-old boy's daily routine and responsibilities are more like that of his 11-year-old little brother than that of his 19-year-old older brother working independently or or, um, off at school. So we're we're unique in waiting till, till our boys turn 18 to send them off. So if you if you have a concept of rites of initiation, then the story of Jesus in the in the in the temple very obviously fits within that that genre, if you will. Uh, Jesus is taken out of his domestic family. He uh, in, he he you know he they they leave and he's and they don't know where he is. Well, he's in Jerusalem, uh, left behind. So he is separated from his domestic family temporarily, and he's integrated into a community of men who form his peers. They are his, his, uh, his peers in his vocation. So, you know, Mary and Joseph, they show up, they say, where have you been? Your father and I, Mary says, your father and I have been looking for you. How could you do this to us? And Jesus very pointedly says, uh, you know, he's surprised. And he says, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? So there's a sort of gentle uh, reprimand there almost that, that my father, I'm about my father's business. Uh, and how and how is he about his father's business? Well, he is in the temple, uh, in the, uh, questioning the the the, the scholars, the scribes, um, and and answering them and astounding them with his wisdom. And he's taking his place alongside the, the scribes and and the teachers. Jesus is is many things, but he is a rabbi. He is a religious teacher. And at age twelve, he's taking his place among among them. And the other way that he's about his father's business, a more subtle way, is that Luke makes sure to tell us. The, the gospel writer makes sure to tell us that Jesus is missing for three days. So it's not the last time that he's going to go missing for three days in Jerusalem. So he's already foreshadowing that the ultimate culmination of his ministry, which is to go missing in Jerusalem for three days uh, before his resurrection. So Jesus undergoes this rite of initiation. He's removed from his domestic sphere and he's, he's uh, brought into a community, a band of brothers, if you will, of, of other men. And, that's something that most cultures have done for boys, and we tend not to. 
So the question I think that 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 we have to be asking is um, how are how are we initiating, particularly our boys, into manhood? Um, because the 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 way that we're doing it currently is not is not perhaps the, the sort of mainstream model is not perhaps working particularly well. I think one other way to get at it uh, briefly is the the um, sociologist Christian Smith, famous for coining the, the the term moralistic therapeutic deism. He coined that term in a book called uh, Soul Searching in 2005, I think, which was the first uh, book in relation to this longitudinal study that he led, the National Study of Youth and Religion, I believe, which was examining the question of why do some, some children stay in the church, some youth stay in the church, and why do some leave? And Christian Smith's conclusion is that the, the number one correlation between uh, for boys who or for children rather youth who stay in the church is the faithfulness of their parents. Uh, that parents are the number one factor in whether or not youth stay in the church. It's kind of obvious. Um, the Catholic philosopher Jay Bujashevsky has this great line in one of his books where he says something like, uh, "Thank God for the sociologists who can empirically tell us the things that our grandmothers always knew." Um, so there's a kind of obviousness to that conclusion. Uh, and that conclusion would seem to work against what I'm arguing for, which is boarding school. If parents are the number one factor, then, then why would you uh, temporarily uh, re remove boys from, from the home? Well, the answer is, is found in, in, uh, in how, parents influence, how parents influence their children. So since, since Soul Searching, and then there was another book, Souls in Transition, a little bit later, since then there's been kind of a, a cottage industry of sociologists who are trying to sort out the, how that correlation between faithfulness of parents and children, how that, how that works uh, causatively. How is it that faithfulness in parents works itself out in faithfulness in, in youth? And one of the things that, that they've found, which tracks onto um, much older understandings of, of youth as well, is that parents prior to adolescence have basically complete formative control over their children. Prior to adolescence, your children's worldview is almost completely dependent upon the parents. But beginning in adolescence, uh, they, uh, adolescents begin, youth begin to shift their sense of identity, their sense of who they are from their parents to their peers and to other non-parental adult mentors. So one of the ways that you can think about it um, is that parents uh, give the, the, um, the uh, uh, Giussani, a, a, a Roman Catholic education uh, writer who writes The Risk of Education, says that parents give their children a hypothesis up until adolescence. And then in adolescence, they begin testing the hypothesis. That is, parents give their children a life. And then in adolescence, children begin to search for a life uh, for, or they begin to ask whether that life holds up. Um, and another way of talking about it is that adolescents <clears throat> have been thrust out of childhood and they are sort of casting about the culture, trying to find the adults that they want to become. And they do that in relation to their peers and in relation to non-parental adults. That doesn't contradict Christian Smith's findings because, uh, believe it or not, parents still have the most control over the potential pool of peers and non-parental adults that their children can come into contact with by deciding what church you go to and what school your kids go to and what extracurricular activities you do, what sports you do. Parents determine the potential peer group and the potential adult mentors for their kids. And so if in adolescence, parents, uh, the, 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 the child is now taking his sense of self more from peers 
and other non-parental adult mentors than from his parents, then a parent's job and uh, the parents of adolescents and the parishes which have adolescents in them suddenly have this newly intensified responsibility to curate their children's peer group and to curate their children's non-parental adult mentors. And there are many ways that you can do that, and every parish has to think about how they ought to. But a boarding school is one particularly powerful way of creating a group of like-minded peers uh, and, and bringing bringing uh, your child into contact with a curated group of non-parental adult mentors. Uh, and so it fits within the kind of classic picture of rites of initiation that every culture has had and that our Lord uh, Jesus Christ underwent himself. And it answers a lot of the sociological data about how, how kids stay in the church and how, how youth grow up into adults. And so boarding school happens to be sort of the best possible fit. I think one of the other ways to say it, I'm rambling a little bit, but is that, uh, Parents who choose to send their kids to St. Dunstan's will sort of ironically be exercising greater control over their children's peers, uh, their peer group, and over their children's adult mentors, their children's culture, uh, than, than they might be in most uh, non-boarding school contexts. Long yeah, it's, it seems to me that there's um, a lot of change coming in higher education and maybe even in secondary education um, you know, we, we were talking before the show about how, how the heck did Zoom become the platform of choice during COVID? Right. And but 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 it seems that the, the pandemic really exposed a lot of holes in the way we're doing things. And so it's real exciting to see um, things like St. Dunstan's. Um, and I, I thought maybe, maybe we, we could uh, just kind of kick around a little bit among the three of us. What, what, what you know, some some of the other things we've seen that might be. Uh, you know, St. Dunstan seems to be a, a good part of, you know, good part of the picture. But, you know, 50, 50 boys is awesome. We're hoping we can reach a whole lot more, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. What The first thing that comes to mind is that we're sort of, um, we are picking up on or continuing or uh, there, there's a there's a broader recovery of what are sometimes called the common arts or the mechanical arts. Uh, in particularly in classical schooling circles, this sense that we can't just train boys, uh, their heads and their hearts. You actually have to train, train their hands, not just boys, children more broadly. Um, and so our skilled trade program is sort of, uh, picking up on this, this broader attempt to recover the common arts that you'll see in a lot of, I think a lot of classical schools these days. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. Uh, being able to do both classical um, education as well as trades education um, not not to get off on a on a, on a tangent but I, I last week I spent a, a couple days with um, the uh, some, some of the leads from Christian Hall International and um, you know that's the kind of thing that that seems to be really yeah early on somebody said you need to you need to you do attend to Dr. Nicholas Ellis and, and the Christian Halls folks. So um, I'd love to you know, chat more with with uh, with with them and, and see how they're doing it as well. Yeah, that's a good. good yeah, time. we're we're um, we're hoping to start a hall 2024. So so this year's our zero year at all, at all Saints. But because of a partnership with the trades, um, this is all, you know, very much within the stuff that we've been talking about at ours. But, yeah, as, as things develop, I'll, I'll uh, I definitely want to chat with all of you all about that a bit more. 
You know, this is great. I like this kind of, you know, discussion of different ways to approach, you know, really this kind of grassroots efforts of rebuilding education, uh, especially in these kind of dark ages that we live in, quite frankly. And it's encouraging to see that uh, small groups of, of faithful uh, men and women, faithful families can bind together to create such wonderful impacts in local communities, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, the, the middle of uh, Virginia there in the valley and the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, all the way down into Texas. And I think that it really helps us to to be creative about where we're at, where others are, are thinking about going in terms of building out educational opportunities for not only their own children, but for other children's as well. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, to kind of plug, because this was kind of a natural fit uh, with everyone discussing it, is I believe that the REC uh, has developed an association, I'm trying to look for it right now, for Anglican schools uh, to really communicate and bind uh, themselves together. Uh, the Anglican Schools Association, if anyone, if you're listening in and you're curious about that, Anglican Schools Association, I'm not affiliated with it, I just know of it, but it's at anglicanschools.org. So if anyone's kind of curious about, you know, how could we do something, how could we make something from scratch, that's another resource uh, to consider. And Father Mark, is that something that you're affiliated with at all or, or a group that you've been in discussion with? Just kind of curious. Um, not, not formally. Uh, we have, we're certainly interested in, in connecting uh, with them. My, my understanding, if I'm not mistaken, is that that organization came out of uh, something, I think it's called the, is it called the Bead Dinner maybe, uh, which was at, at the Society for Classical Learning, the SEL, uh, annual conference there there it tend, tended or tends to be in Texas and there were a lot of uh, folks particularly in the REC uh, a lot of Anglicans who were who were connected with it and my understanding is they started doing a, a dinner together um, and then the Anglican Schools Association has come out of that we're we're um, we're not formally affiliated with them but I'm certainly interested in continuing the conversation we're we're kind of a, a unique school in a lot of ways. Uh, so people will sometimes ask, what about, what about accreditation? And uh, we're at this point, we're, we're not um, pursuing accreditation because there's not really anybody who can accredit us because nobody is, our model is, is not unique, but it's unusual. And accreditation is, is primarily a way for, families to sort of know there's a sort of baseline of, of professionalism in the school. So, so the school that I used to teach at was, was accredited through the Virginia Association of Independent Schools. And that told you that, that the school I was at was comparable in a lot of ways to a lot of other day schools. Well, that the families who come to St. Dunstan's uh, and, and agree to send their boys off, they're going to be vetting us in a much deeper way than, than accreditation can possibly um, touch on. So Accreditation is not something at the moment that 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 most places I think can really um, do for us particularly well, and I don't think it's 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 helpful or necessary for us. But absolutely talking with those folks and with the folks at SEL, and um, we've been we've been at a, to a couple Cersei Institute conferences as well. Um, so continuing those conversations is is something we want to be in. Be doing. And I'd imagine that with with y'all being primarily for high school high school age that that's just not really an issue anyway. I mean, it just you you got to comply with Virginia law, but that sounds more like a secondary or a um, higher ed sort of issue, right? Right. Well, and and Virginia law actually is for um, independent schools is pretty um, 
pretty pretty minimal. We have we have pretty much the, the freedom to run our curriculum as uh, as we wish. Um, Same here in Texas. <laughs> yeah, right. A private school, sort of by definition, is is exempted from from state oversight in in Virginia Virginia law, from what I understand. But we're gonna we're gonna have. I mean, our our boys are gonna study math and science, and and our our our, our core curriculum probably won't look that different on paper from your average classical schools core curriculum, but the way we teach it uh, is probably going to be quite a bit differently. We talk a lot about poetic knowledge, uh, which is a kind of knowledge of things in themselves and knowledge in the bones. Uh, so, so for instance, um, we want our, our, our kids to be learning biology through our farming program as much as possible. And they'll learn a lot of math through timber framing. Uh, Cause that, 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 that particular, um, skilled trade requires a lot of a lot of knowledge of math and a lot of use of math. So we're going to try to integrate our our, our learning into into in, in unique ways. And, and um, so for the other one other example is that I want to teach I'm going to teach on Genesis two and three uh, after taking the boys through a particularly nasty greenbrier patch to get to the top of a hill where they can experience thorns and brambles and the, 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 the sweat of the brow that, that the curse has brought. And then you That's get excellent. to compare poorly managed land on one side of, of this particular ridge with really well, beautifully managed forests on the other side. And you get to see how the, the curse of sin is, is not, I mean, Genesis three is really clear. It's not just an abstract in, internal tendency towards sin. It's cosmic. Uh, and it affects all of creation. And as stewards of creation, which is our calling, our calling is not is not just simply intellectual and not uh, quote unquote spiritual in the, in the sense of it being immaterial, which is not the right word meaning of spiritual, obviously. But but it, it involves stewardship of all of creation. And so we have some in our big 176 acre campus. We have some really unique ways to uh, to teach things poetically through. Uh, you're going to understand the, the curse of sin a lot more after you've had 12 holes put in your shirt and some holes put in your skin too. <laughs> so what might a, might a typical day um, look like at St. Dunstan's for, for these students? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, our days will, they'll start with uh, morning chores uh, on the farm, animal husbandry, uh, milking the cows, et cetera. Uh, we're going to start with, with chickens and pigs and then add in cows a little bit later. We're going to start small and sort of build things out as we go. So you start with, morning chores, uh, and then you'll, you'll clean up for morning prayer in, uh, in the chapel. Eventually we'll start in the great hall and then we'll build the chapel as kind of the, the capstone of, of the, um, of the campus. And we'll have a homily attached to, to, to morning prayer, expounding the, the daily devotionals. And then we'll move into our, um, the daily classes uh, which won't be all that different from, from again, from a kind of a classical school, but we'll teach as much as possible outdoors. I think one of the, one of the reasons boys struggle in day schools is that, is that, uh, an adolescent boy is not, is not designed by his creator to sit in a desk for eight hours a day. Uh, and so we want the boys outside as much as possible. Um, we will, uh, we'll finish the day with evening prayer and dinner, um, and and we will have interspersed in in that we'll have um, the skilled trades work and uh, musical education is going to. I should have mentioned earlier um, one of the distinctives of our program is um, a commitment to what we're calling digital poverty. So just as the oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I just realized I didn't even mention that. Just as the monastic uh, uh, orders vowed material poverty in, in, in ideally so that they would not be distracted by the accumulation of possessions so that they could pray without distraction. Our, our, the thing that we want the boys to do more than anything else is to attend to reality. We have a really full program. If you've, we have a lot of things we want to be doing and, uh, and, and social media and, and iPhones are just our distraction from the things that we want to be doing. So on, on the campus, there'll be no headphones, no phones, no screens, no TVs, no private music players of any kind. And that will enable us to sort of uh, build our, our culture with, by, with a little bit less input from, say, Taylor Swift. Um, we, we're not looking to cut the boys off from culture completely. They're going to spend uh, three months at home throughout the year. But we do want to lower the volume of, of pop culture, if you will, or to release the uh, to, to lessen the hold that pop culture has on the culture of our school. And, and digital poverty is one of the ways we're going to do that. Uh, but it also means that if they that, that if they want to have music, they're going to have to learn to play it themselves. And so our music program will be a combination of uh, Appalachian folk music, training in Appalachian folk music, and um, the the sacred music of the church. Those will be kind of our two wings. And so music making will be a regular part of our, our life together um, and a regular part of our days together as well. And then we'll have on, on Wednesdays, we'll have farm day or chore day or, or skilled trade day and, and sometimes on Saturdays as well. And we'll also have rugby, I should have said. Rugby will be our one uh, our one major athletic sport, maybe some soccer, but we'll also have obstacle courses and we have the Appalachian Trail as a, as a nice uh, rite of initiation just up the road. Some pretty intense elevation change near our campus. I, I do like the, uh, the the musical juxtaposition of uh, Appalachian fiddle and um, plain chant choir. I think that's uh, that's excellent. That's right. That's right up my alley right there. That's what they sing in heaven. I mean, did you know <laughs> as a uh, bluegrass enthusiast uh, and a lover of all things Shenandoah and Blue Ridge, uh, that sounds absolutely magical. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is fantastic. And I can imagine that, um, you know, our listeners who are, are not part of, of APA, who may be part of, of ACNA or uh, outside of, of the G3, you know, maybe questioning like, you know, like, why should I send, you know, like my kids there? Why, why should I, I consider this? And I've got an answer to that, but on why uh, being formed by a classic prayer book, the, the 28, uh, would be a good thing. And why this community uh, of really Anglicans from across uh, Orthodox jurisdictions uh, is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, I think. You know, I think it's worth saying our our, our uh, requirements for the boys is that they be baptized and committed Christians who are willing to participate in the full liturgical life of the church. And our goal is to make that liturgical life one in which, um, you know, Anglicans and uh, and and magisterial Protestants and and even open minded Baptists uh, can can participate in together. And so, as, as I said, Holy Communion will be the, the, the climax of our life together, and morning and evening prayer will form the, the, the sort of rhythm and structure of our life out of the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. Um, but I want to make sure that it's something that, that is, uh, is open to, to folks who are not sort of just from the APA, just from our, our particular 
um, diocese. And again, the school is an independent 501c3, which enables us to, to welcome folks from a lot of different places. I think, um, and, and, and on the ground, we were, I was just at, we were just had a booth at the, uh, the Synod for the Diocese of Christ Our Hope in the ACNA last, last week. And we've had some, some, some folks from, um, nearby who've been very supportive and, and in the REC. Um, I think there, there is, um, I have, you know, I, I love the 1928 prayer book. That's my, uh, that's, that's my preferred prayer book for sure. And I have opinions about other prayer books. Um, but I do think there is something particularly powerful in, for starters, in the formative influence of the daily office, you know, as, as present in a lot of different prayer books. And in particular, the, the, the Elizabethan English, though, of the 1928 and of the classic prayer books is is powerfully formational. Um, it is <clears throat> one of the things that, well, I don't want to get distracted on a, on a side tangent, but, but the, the language itself is an education and a formation in beauty, uh, and in the history of the English language, just, just as singing the canticles in, in, in some of the classic settings is an education in music itself that is, uh, formative beyond, simply morning prayer itself. So there's a kind of powerful, formative, uh, educational influence in the classic prayer books and in the classic English sacred music tradition that simply just doesn't exist uh, in in the sort of liturgical renewal prayer books, not in the same way. I'm not going to be completely dismissive or anything. And you, likewise, you won't find anybody arguing with you on this on this podcast. No, with that. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm well aware of that <laughs> on friendly ground in, in that particular uh, in that particular respect. And and again, for, for us, our mission, I should also say our mission is not to remove boys uh, from a particular place, but rather to send young men. And in order to send young men, we are temporarily removing boys from their context. But our goal is to be sending young men back into their parishes and back into their communities. We want to graduate competent, faithful young men who are ready to contribute to their communities, their churches, and their families. And um, and I think St. Dunstan's is well positioned to do that. So while we hope and intend to be to be serving folks from the APA and from the the so-called G3, the Anglican Joint Synods, uh, we absolutely Uh, and, and beyond as well. So we, we have lots of folks from from different uh, different Christian traditions who are interested in, in what we're doing and, and can send their kids to us. And again, you know, um, the, the example I often give is the March for Life as an example of grassroots ecumenism. Nobody is checking denominational affiliations uh, to participate in the March for Life. See, Dunson's is not exactly like that. And yet I think it's something that, that folks from all different tr traditions can appreciate and understand that the crisis of, uh, of around crises around sexuality and around masculinity in particular in, in the West is, is not something that respects denominational lines. Um, and the things that, that tend to divide Anglicans from others uh, are, are not the things that are actually destroying the church, if that makes sense. The, 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 the things that we're fighting against cut across denominational lines. And, and likewise, within the Anglican tradition, you know, uh, people can argue about, you know, we could, we could, I'm sure we could have a whole another episode where we talk about the formularies and the, and, you know, whether or not we want to talk about the seven ecumenical councils, yada, 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 yada. 
you know, neither of the neither, neither of those issues, which traditionally separate Anglicans from one another, are actually the things that are crushing and dividing the church today. Today, right, right, yeah, that's that's so whether, that grassroots ecumenism. Yeah, uh, Archdeacon Isaac and I were actually talking about this, like in a, in a text chat uh, just the other day, and I think that's well said. And the thing that I'd add in terms of like encouraging um, those who are using like the 2019 prayer book of like, why should I send my, my boys, you know, to this or my, my grandsons? I would add that like, we teach uh, our children Shakespeare or, or Lord have mercy, we should, you know, and other great classical texts. And this is another way, like you mentioned, of formation of, if anything, one of the things that I'll, I'll tip my hat to on the 2019 is if you're using the Anglican standard text uh, for Holy Eucharist, you're going to, easily, you know, walk right into the 28 prayer book, uh, along with, for the most part, the the offices as well. Uh, and so if anything is going to, to elevate your language, it's going to help with your own vocabulary. And it's really uh, not only formation and spirituality, which it is, but it's also a, a true education in our own English language, which I often fell and I can hardly speak as an Alabamian, but here I am. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's like the uh, um, Father Ben Jeffries talks about the 2019 as a sort of step towards the classic prayer book tradition from maybe he doesn't use this language. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think of it as a step towards the classic Anglican prayer book tradition from the starting point of the 1979. And there's no question at that um at the uh, Diocesan Synod, at the the Christ Our Hope Synod, they they said morning prayer out of the out of the 2019, and I haven't done that a lot just because I'm in my own my own context. But I said uh, morning prayer out of the 1979 a decent amount when I was at Trinity School for Ministry, uh, doing seminary, and I was struck by how by by how much closer the 2019 is to the is to the 1928 than the 79 was, if that makes sense. And so I don't think. Um, I don't think there's a, a and likewise, you know, right one of the 79, of course, is 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 similar as well. I don't think there's a huge, I, I you know, liturgical gap to be had. I, I told, you know, I, I think um, we are uh, we are going to be Anglo-Catholic in our in our ritual to to a certain extent. Um, we're going to have, you know, uh, incense and bells and chasubles. Uh, but uh but I want I want to to again be a place where where um, folks it may not be exactly what they they would do in their home parishes but they can um, in good conscience participate in as well um, and so yeah I, I I think folks will find their their sense of the Anglican tradition only enriched whatever jurisdiction they're coming from and really anybody that's going to be involved in uh modern North American Anglicanism is going to be dealt with some form of, uh, they're going to have to be flexible in one way or the other. That's just the nature right. of, uh, of our tradition these days or the, the, so, yeah, that's great. Right. And even, even for myself, I, I'm understanding the place as a, as a, uh, to, to be hospitable. And so, and that's true for a, 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 any parish rector as well, that you don't do whatever your own liturgical hobby horse is. If it's going to destroy your parish, that would be utterly foolish. Right pastorally irresponsible. Um, and so, you know, nobody really ought to be doing exactly what they would want, maybe, uh, completely, as if they're being sort of sensitive to their pastoral um, context, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, very, very, very well said. I think uh, uh, Andrew and I have have definitely had that exact same experience in our own in our own context. So that's that's very good. Well, I understand you you need to be going pretty soon, Father Mark. So any any final thoughts before we uh, we bid you adieu? No, I, I uh, like I said, I very much appreciate the chance to to talk with you and to talk with with your your listeners. Um, we also like I said, we're about 45 minutes from Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, a little closer to Lynchburg, Virginia. So if anyone wants to come see the property as well, I'd be happy to, to we, we're, we love to host people and to show them what we're doing. Um, and I uh, hope that you'll pray for us. I should say also, if you go to um, our website, you should be, there's a uh, place where you can subscribe to Harp and Hammer, which is our bi-monthly newsletter. It comes about out about once every two months. Uh, so we won't be spamming your inbox constantly. Although we probably will have more stuff during Lent as we're as we're boosting our Lent and appeal. Um, but in general, we, it comes out once every two months, and uh, you can keep up with what we're doing there. That's fantastic. You know, let's close with prayer from the 1928 prayer book uh, for schools, colleges, and universities. And one last plug: I'll also say that on that website, there's also a link for St. Dunstan's Academy for donating resources. So perhaps if you can't financially bless them, maybe you have some sort of uh, educational tool that could bless them. Uh, so definitely reach out and keep in contact. But Father yes. Mark, thank you so much. And uh, is there anything in particular that uh, we could bless you with in terms of materials like prayer books, hymnals, et cetera? Uh, not, not yet. Uh, we'll have that kind of a need and, and we'll also be looking at vestments at some point down the road. Uh, but if anyone has an old pickup truck or an old box truck. Uh, there we go. Property, or not, not box truck, box trailer, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, although we'll take a box truck too. Uh, <laughs> let us know. We've had uh, neighbors of the property donate a tractor to us. Um, and we're working on getting a, um, a sawmill as well. So that, cause we want to, we want to, we're going to build our campus. I could have said a lot more about timber framing. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't say hardly anything at all. We're going to, we're timber framing our campus uh, using primarily our own, uh, our own timber for, we have about 110 acres of timber. So, um, so we have lots of, lots of needs on that. And if you, and we're also going to be eventually, sorry, I'll, I'll keep rambling in the spring, we're going to be, uh, hosting some like volunteer days. We've already had a couple of them locally that have been really, really successful and maybe volunteer weekends as well. Um, and we're also last thing, uh, eventually starting sometime in 2024, we're going to, um, we're gonna have some local retreats for men and boys, just day retreats. And then eventually we're, we're going to host a weekend retreat uh, for men and boys, uh, sometimes probably probably towards the fall of 2024, um, which would be an opportunity to come to have a spiritual retreat, to learn some things and to, and to do some work with us and also to see what we're all about. That's excellent. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Father Mark. It's wonderful to, to have you. Uh, Archdeacon Isaac, always good to, to co-host with you as well. And we'll close out in prayer. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. With thy spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, we beseech thee with thy gracious favor to behold our universities, colleges, and schools, especially especially St. Dunstan's Academy, that knowledge may be increased among us and all good learning flourish and abound. Bless all who teach and all who learn, and grant that in humility of heart they may ever look unto thee, who art the fountain of all wisdom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Canterbury. Thank you. Thank you. God bless and have a good one. Thanks. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we 
disturbed and suffered a while, a little longer, build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at n-o-r-t-h-a-m-anglican.com.